Hello, and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other all about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. So, Sarah. Yeah. Today is a special episode. Oh, my God. Because... I am so excited about this topic that I am. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you two stories. Oh, okay. Because I know how much you like true crime. Oh, okay, yeah. And I do too. I especially like true crime that has some sort of unique angle. Okay. I guess most people probably do because sure. otherwise yeah. it's just <laughs> it's just tragic. Yeah. Um. So the the. The story, the two stories um, today are of people who disappeared and okay. they met tragic ends. Oh. But the events surrounding their fates is so bizarre that they captured my attention. Okay. And if you out there listening are as big a fan as Sarah is of true crime uh, stories and podcasts, then you may have come across one or both of these stories. Sarah, you may have come across both of these, possibly. Okay. Um. The, the the first one I want to tell you about is about a man, a Canadian man named Blair Adams. Okay. So Blair Adams was 31 when he went missing. He lived in Surrey, British Columbia and worked as a foreman with a construction company. And he was known by friends and family as having a ge- generally cheerful demeanor and described by his mother as kind and ambitious, which made the sudden change in his attitude very noticeable in the summer of 1996. Uh-oh. Family and co-workers all noticed it. His mother stated that something was obviously very much the matter. He hadn't been sleeping well. Something was wrong. I asked him numerous times what was wrong, and he said, I don't think I should tell you about it. Oh, uh-oh. Whatever it was. Yeah. Now, while working at his stepfather's construction company in Frankfurt, Germany, he met a young woman, and they dated for a time. And she was um, um, uh, she was approached by detectives, and she described Blair as a gentleman. But other co-workers in Frankfurt that he worked with described him as being quite confrontational. Interesting. He did have a criminal history. Oh. And he was a recovering alcoholic, two years sober at the time of this incident. So some thought that he may have fallen off the wagon. Mm-hmm. Co-workers suggested that he see a doctor. But he did not. Um, he would confide, confide in some, telling those close to him that he thought somebody was trying to kill him. Oh. Specifically, he feared violence from co-workers returning from work in Germany. Uh, the reason why he may have feared this specifically, or anyone out to get him at all, is unknown. Okay. But I, I feel like he probably knew, but sure. I, I, we, we, I assume he knew. But... No one close to him reported anything suspicious or anything or any of his fears to be specific enough to make any sense. So to go back for just a second, do we know what his criminal history is or are you going to yeah. go over that later? Yeah, we know what it was. Okay. Um, it was assault and there was something else, but I think I think it's 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 a little bit further down in here. Okay. Okay. But we do know what it is. Okay. So all of this leads to the morning of Friday July 5th, he told his mother he was going to go visit his uncle in Courtney. I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay. Uh, it's, in, it's, in, it's in Canada, so it's, it can be a little difficult. Yeah, what do we know? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he didn't visit his uncle. Instead, Blair went to the bank and withdrew 
everything oh. he had. Oh. Emptying all of his accounts and the contents of his safe deposit box, which included $6,000 in cash and a collection of jewelry, gold, and platinum. And what year is this? Uh, 1996. Oh, he's going to do just fine with that then. So he stored all of this inside his fanny pack. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I Sarah, thought you were making a 90s joke. I'm sorry. Sarah, this was 1996. <laughs> fanny packs were oh, all the rage. Oh boy. And he left. That Sunday, Blair tried to board a ferry from Victoria, British Columbia to Seattle. But U.S. immigration flagged him as being a possible drug courier because he was alone and carrying a lot of cash and valuables. Oh, yeah. This also He also lied to the officials about his criminal history. So it was um, assault charges and drug convictions. Oh, yeah, that'll, that'll ping their radar then. Mm-hmm. So he was denied entry into the United States. After this failure, it is reported that he visited some friends and stayed with his mother that night. He was described as anxious and not wanting to be in his apartment. Hmm. The next day, July 8th, um, Adams left his mother's telling her that she want, he wanted to go see the Olympic Games in Atlanta, which were scheduled to start in 11 days. Yeah, wow. That would be the last time that she would see his, her son alive. Oh. He went to quit his job and collect his last paycheck. And then he spent around $1,500 on a round-trip flight to Frankfurt, Germany, which was to leave the very next day. His only tie to Germany was that ex-girlfriend. Right. uh, Who confirmed to detectives that she was not aware that he was planning to visit. Next, he went to a friend's house, and we don't know exactly what was going on through his head, obviously. But he, 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 he bought the plane ticket. And then he went to a friend's house telling them that he was afraid somebody was out to get him and that he needed to cross the border into the United States. So he's telling people he needs to go to the United States. He's telling his mom he wants to go to the Olympics in Atlanta, but Mm -hmm. he's actually planning to fly to Germany. Well, again, we don't know for sure if his plan was to go to Germany or if that was some or if he was just trying to get out in general. And that was one method. We don't really know. Okay. But he said he, he, knew he wanted to get out of Canada, needed to cross the border, but this friend did not take him for one reason or another. Okay. So on Tuesday, July 9th, the next day, Blair did not take his flight to Germany. Hmm. Instead, he tried to cross the U.S. border again. That's so bizarre. This time on foot, but he was stopped. He had matched the description of an auto theft suspect. Oh, no. Now, authorities had found a stolen car near the area he was trying to cross. Mm. Adams denied these allegations, and police didn't have any evidence that he had stolen the car. So they, they simply said, okay, go back to Canada. You're not going to pass. Yeah. Just, just go. Do you think it could have been him who I, stole the car? Yeah. Okay. I think I'm, it's possible. I'm thinking that, too. Because there's a lot of paranoia going on. Right. Um. We just don't know exactly why or how, how, how extreme it was. Okay. Um, later that same day, Blair rent, rented a Nissan Altima at the Vancouver International Airport and tried to cross the border a third time. God. But this time he was successful. He got through. In Seattle, Blair purchased a one-way flight to Washington, D.C., which is bizarre because in the article I read, it stated that he could have purchased a round-trip ticket for half the price. What? But he didn't. He purchased the one-way ticket. So he arrives in uh, Dulla International Airport on Wednesday, July 10th. 
he rented a Toyota Camry and drove from Washington, D.C. to Knoxville, Tennessee. A seven-hour drive. Mm -hmm. It's south, so it could be that he was headed to Atlanta. That's not the correct way to go. No, it's not. At all. (laughs) No. Maybe he got lost. Mm. I, who knows? Yeah, ninety six. It's not like he had GPS. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if he had ever been in the United States either. Right. Okay. But he ended up in Knoxville. The article also mentions that Blair was involved in a minor accident in Virginia, and the other man they found, and he was just, and he described Blair as nice but in a hurry. Mm. Okay. Seven hour, seven hour drive. Yeah. He was in a hurry. A seven hour drive in the wrong direction kind of potentially yeah yeah and 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 also to Mm. um to get somewhere to to get to the games which aren't supposed to start for a few days right still at least a week yeah so we don't know what he was actually doing Hmm. so maybe he was going to atlanta like he wanted to go to graceland first Hmm. and then elvis's birthplace in tupelo which is you know then you got to circle all the way back from mississippi to get to atlanta so maybe that's why he needed the extra time yeah. Is that possible? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Blair made it to Knoxville, where he encountered another problem. Another bizarre problem. At a gas station on Strawberry Plains Pike, around 5.30 p.m., Blair couldn't get his car to work. Hmm. I, I, su- I assume he had stopped for gas, oh, went back yeah. to get in the car, and, and he couldn't get it to work. He asked the clerk to call a repair service because his key wasn't fitting Inside his, his rented Camry. Oh. Uh, when Gerald Sapp, the service driver, arrived, he immediately realized what the problem was. Blair was trying to use the key of a Nissan instead of the key for his Toyota. Oh. Now, if you recall, the, the mm-hmm. Nissan is the first car he rented. Yeah. Uh, and we assume it's the same. They kept it, maybe uh, the spare key. That's weird. For some reason. Uh, Sapp says, I asked him to look in his pockets... I said, if you drove the thing here, you have to have another key in your pockets. But he wouldn't look. So I thought he was nuts. He was bound <laughs> to determine that he had the key that he needed for that car. Whoa. So something weird is going on. Yeah. Without any other option, Sap called a tow truck and took the Camry to an auto shop. But it was <sighs> already after hours. So he dropped Blair off at a nearby Fairfield Inn. What the world? Apparently, Blair left the truck without his bag, his only luggage on the trip, and Sap had to run over and give it to him. The guy was not there at all. Clearly. Sap said. He didn't appear to be messed up. He didn't appear to be on drugs, but his mind wasn't functioning correctly for some reason. Surveillance video from the lobby showed Blair entering and exiting five times within 40 minutes before he finally purchased a room with a $100 bill. Oh, this is Elisa Lamb. Mm-hmm. Oh, Boy. Yeah. Okay. I see. Okay. Then he, so he paid, he paid for his room with a hundred dollar bill, which was, the room was not a hundred dollars. Um, so he was owed change, but he walked out without getting his change (laughs) and the front desk called the room to, you know, make sure he was there to, to give him his change, I assume, or maybe to check up on him because he was acting very strange. Um, but he wasn't in his room or he wasn't picking up the phone. This paranoid behavior was noticed by hotel employees. One said the best way to describe him would be paranoid. He just was nervous, uh, very nervous, agitated, expecting someone to come in on him, even though there wasn't anyone there. Mm -hmm. 
His last movement in the hotel was leaving the hotel. And we know that he had dinner at some point in after leaving the hotel, but we don't know where. So he left that same night? He, he, he left right after buying the room. Wow. Okay. We don't know where he went. We don't know if he went to the room. <laughs> I don't think he did. Okay. He, we, he, just, le- he just left the lobby. Wow. And we don't know where he went after this. Um, there were there were a couple of sightings, but they were unconfirmed, believed to be misidentifications. Okay. But he did have dinners at some point. And at 7.30 a.m. the next day, half a mile from the hotel, workers arrived at a construction site off of Strawberry Plains Pike and discovered a body. Uh, and it was Blair Adams. Uh, he was naked from the waist down as if his pants and socks had been pulled off. Oh. Because they were found inside out. Oh. And his shirt was ripped open. Oh. He had been beaten to death. <gasps> oh, my the, God. With the killing blow being to his stomach. Oh, Jesus. It is unsure what weapon was used. It's thought to be maybe something like a club or a crowbar, perhaps a piece of a rebar, possibly something from the construction site itself. Oh, what the fuck? His other injuries show that he was fighting back mm. as he had a piece of his attacker's hair in a clenched fist. And it is also thought that he was sexually assaulted. Oh, my God. Yeah. No drugs or alcohol were, fi- were found in his body, though. And the motive of the, of the attack is unknown because the cash, gold, and jewelry that he had been carrying around in that fanny pack, that fashionable fanny pack, um, it was all still there. Wow. In fact, the, ar- the articles that I read said that there was money laying around him. Oh, Oh, yuck. But it didn't appear that anything was taken. So it wasn't a robbery, (sighs) as far as we could tell, but his killer has never been found despite having some possible DNA evidence from that piece of hair. What? Yeah. And this story was on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries as well. Oh. And the, the reason for his odyssey ultimately ending in Knoxville has never been fully resolved either. My God. Perhaps whatever caused his paranoia pushed him, pushed his bizarre and erratic behavior until his fate proved to be self-fulfilling. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he he was he was just behaving so crazy that he was going to end up getting killed, right? In some way, right? And this is what happened. But we have no idea why he was acting that way, why he was going to Knoxville, why he ended up in Knoxville why he was doing all this crazy stuff because he should have purchased a ticket from Seattle to Atlanta. Right. If he was going to if he was going there but he purchased it to Washington DC and then drove mm-hmm. half a day. Yeah. South, so this is just one of those stories that doesn't make any sense. So, do you know if like he had any kind of like mental health issues? Like, I mean, obviously he did at the end, but like prior to this was there like he. So like with Elisa Lamb, she had some issues. She had run out of her medication and that's kind of when things kind of went off the rails for her. Yeah. So is this maybe that kind of situation? I mean, it's possible, but there there was no history. Okay. There was. Okay. There, there was, well, there was, 96. I mean, people weren't really paying as much attention to that either. He wasn't on any medication. Hmm. He had no history of mental illness. Um, his mother described him as 
acting paranoid, mm-hmm. but didn't say that it, he was acting as if there was something wrong with his brain. Right. You know, but again, that's sort of a difficult thing for a mother or in, anyone who isn't like a doctor to sort of self-diagnose. Right. Yeah. So it's possible that something just happened, but no idea. Mm. No idea. Well, thanks. I hate it. Yeah, I'm sorry to. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is kind of a downer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's a. Uh, but Sarah, there is one more, because this is a two-parter. Is this is the second one resolved? Like, is there or is it like, oh, we just don't know? I can't tell you that. That's messed up. I can't tell you that. I'm gonna be really upset if you do this to me twice in a row. Well, let's get started. <laughs> okay. So this one is a lot less known than Blair Adams. Okay. But I find it to be much more interesting. Because well, you know. Yes. Morbidly interesting yes. because of the 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 situation. So this is about a man named David Glenn Lewis. He was a lawyer and a former judge living in Amarillo, Texas. He was 39 at the time of his disappearance. And he was active in his community and church as well as teaching nightly classes at the local college. On January 31st, 1993, David's wife Karen and nine-year-old daughter Lauren returned home after a weekend shopping trip in Dallas. Apparently they spent the weekend in Dallas shopping. Hell yeah. Which is an amazing uh, vacation. I, 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 I'm not affluent enough to know anyone that does that. Um... Guess again, because my mom and I have done that. You've gone on overnight trips to shop? Yeah, we went to Columbia one time for a weekend and we were like, let's tear it up at the mall. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom and I used to do stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I guess you're affluent enough. Well, I mean, I was at one point for like a very brief, (laughs) very brief window of time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this was over Super Bowl weekend. Oh. So it left David alone for the weekend Mm -hmm. to watch the game and do whatever he wants. When the two returned that Sunday night, David wasn't home. But the VCR had been recording the Super Bowl. Okay. In fact, it was still running after the Super Bowl had, had already been concluded and the TV was still on. David's wedding ring was on the counter. Oh. And two fresh turkey sandwiches, which were David's favorite, were in the fridge. Okay. A little weird. Now, I had heard um, a, a, a reasonable explanation for the wedding ring. Perhaps David was about to do some dishes. Okay. Or something. Sure. Took his wedding ring off, set it on the counter, and then who knows? Right. He was about to tear into those sandwiches and just get like turkey juice everywhere and wanted to get That's... his ring clean, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Like you take your jewelry off when operating heavy machinery. Mm-hmm. When you're about to tear into <laughs> some turkey sandwiches, you might want to do the same. <laughs> That's what we do after Thanksgiving, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Every year. So considering these circumstances, they expected he would be back at any moment. Maybe he just stepped out or something. Right. But he did not return. Hmm. The following day, after David had missed some appointments, Karen called the police. Police launched an investigation, and while not able to find David, they were able to piece together the actions leading up to his disappearance. So on Thursday, January 28th, he left work saying that he was feeling ill, but he went on to purchase gas and teach a class at the um, Amarillo College that ended at 10 p.m. So maybe he just felt better by then. Yeah. Not sure. 
Now, the following day, Friday, a friend reported seeing David running through the Southwest Airlines terminal at Amarillo Airport. Oh. And he had no luggage with him. Okay. Not sure if this was a misidentification or what, but... But it was a friend of his, you said. It was a friend of his. Okay. Less likely to misidentify than some rando. Possibly. Now, the following day, January 30th, was the last day that David was actually seen. Uh, but who saw him and where he was seen has not been released. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Neighbors did tell police that they saw his Ford Explorer at home that, all day that day. Oh. And $5,000 was deposited into his and Karen's joint bank account. Okay. He was not seen on Sunday, which was the following day. Uh, but police determined that whoever started the VCR had to do so manually. There wasn't an option to like set it to record. Oh. So they had to have done so by 5.15 that evening. And it is thought that had to have been David who did that. That's so weird. So they, 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 they assume he must have been there at home at, at least by 5.15 p.m. on Sunday. And then something happened. Hmm. The day after the investigation started, police found David's Ford Explorer downtown at the Potter County Courts building. His house keys, car keys, checkbook, cards, and driver's license were all found in the car. However, David was known to keep these items in his car where they were found, so they did not consider this to be very unusual. Okay. Um, and none of his other personal items at home were missing. No okay. bags, okay. packed. Nothing that indicated that he was leaving. In fact, um, no money had been taken out of the bank either. Money had been put into the bank. Right. Not taken out. Ugh. So, not adding up. Right. Obviously. Police then discovered that two plane tickets were purchased during the time he was missing under the name David Lewis. Hmm. The first ticket was from Dallas to Amarillo, and the second was from L.A. to Dallas with a layover in Amarillo. But it's unconfirmed if David actually purchased these tickets because at the time, IDs were not required to purchase plane tickets. Right. So it could have been just another man named David Lewis or possibly two. Yeah. Just a coincidence. Neither of those names are uncommon. Yeah. Now, as for motives, the family did not think that he would have left on his own accord. Hmm. It would have been very uncharacteristic of him to do that. And he didn't take anything with him. Mm Mm-hmm. But there were clues that his disappearance may have not been voluntary. David was scheduled to fly out to Dallas the following week to participate in a deposition in a $3 million lawsuit against his former law firm. Oh. Now, interestingly, David's files regarding the deposition had vanished as well. Interesting. Yeah. David had also received death threats when he was a judge. (laughs) <laughs> well, which, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they all do, <laughs> which isn't it doesn't seem like it's too uncommon. Yeah. However, police were not sure that either of these necessarily were dramatic enough to justify him being like abducted. OK, three million dollar lawsuits a lot. But for a law firm, they didn't yeah. think it really it, it didn't raise enough red flags. Okay. You know? Um. So after investigating for 11 months, police Closed the case. There was no evidence of foul play, so they were forced to declare that David must have left of his own volition. Right, yeah. There was no other rational explanation. And no trace of David would appear for 11 years. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. 
Across the country, in Seattle, Washington, Detective Patrick Dutter had been reading a news story criticizing how police were handling uh, missing person cases and decided that he wanted to have a crack at trying to solve some of them himself. I love stuff like that. Yeah. So he used Google and he searched John and Jane Doe websites to see if he could find any connections on missing persons websites. And he found David Glenn Lewis on one of these websites and thought that he looked very close to a John Doe found dead after a hit and run in Washington state. Oh my God. The only thing that was wrong was John Doe was not wearing David's signature glasses. These very large Hmm. 90s glasses. Oh yeah. I had some of those myself. (laughs) I know the ones. However, in the evidence list, there was a pair of glasses that John Doe had been carrying in his pocket, and they looked exactly like David's. Oh, my God. Okay, then. So a DNA test was performed and compared with David's mother's DNA. Okay, yeah. And it was confirmed John Doe was David Glenn Lewis. Oh, my God. David was walking down a quiet two-lane highway near Moxie, Washington, 10 miles from a small local airport. He had been walking in the middle of the road in the pitch black of night. Oh, well, that's not... Yeah. Now, when his body was found, he was wearing military fatigues and boots. Sorry? Which Karen confirmed he did not own. Yeah. And as stated before, he was not wearing his glasses. Instead, they were in his pocket, but he was nearly blind without his glasses. So... And that didn't make sense either. And no drugs or alcohol was were found in his system either. I'm really mad at you. Now, now, as bizarre as all of that sounds, none of it is the most bizarre detail. I find that hard to believe. The most bizarre de- detail is this. David was killed at 1024 p.m. on February 1st, 1993. The day after he went missing. Sorry, what the fuck? Yeah. So if David left his house as soon as he hit record on his VCR, he would have had to have traveled 1,600 miles in 29 hours, only to be killed on a lonely, dark road in a state he had no connections with, in clothes he didn't own. What? But you, okay, so you said it was like 10 miles from an airport where he was found. Yeah. So he must have flown into that airport, right? And then things just went bananas. The only explanation is that he flew into the airport. Although he didn't purchase a ticket that we know of, maybe he found a way to do that. Well, fake name. But there were no there were no direct flights from the small Amarillo airport to the very small Moxie airport. Hmm. So if he didn't manage to fly in there, why was he r- walking down a highway in the middle of the night in fatigues? And with no glasses. With no glasses. And no drugs. And he wasn't high. Did aliens put him there? Well, that's the thing. How did he get there? Did someone make him do this? Right. It Was it an elaborate murder? It just doesn't make any sense at all. No. Which made it, which caught, which made it catch my eye. Well, yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense. So. Wait. That's the end. Are you Sarah. kidding me? 
I'm done. This, that's, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm done with you. I don't ever want to speak to you again. Sarah isn't being honest, <laughs> but she does hate not knowing the answer to the question. Uh, that's messed up. But it's a great question. What happened to these people? Do you know? If you out there in Radioland know, <laughs> please send us an email. Address we it are. to me Address specifically because yeah. he doesn't deserve to know. I don't deserve to know. Fantastichistorypod at gmail.com is where you would send it. Or you can reach out to us on social media. We are at fantastichpod on both Twitter and Instagram. I hope you liked the stories more than Sarah did. <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> and uh, if you did find them interesting, please take a second to rate and review to, uh, to us on whichever podcast you are listening to right now. Until next time. Thank you.